Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Sammy Numbisi. Sammy is the president of the International Academy of Ceramic Implantology and is a successful ceramic implant specialist in the Maryland area who is on top of all the cutting edge trends in the field. Sammy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So this is a little bit different topic, but it's really fascinating because it seems to me it's we're going to talk about a topic that a lot of people are naive if you're like me, a patient. And if you're a practicing dentist, you might be a little ignorant to the cutting edge technology and what's happening in the ceramic implant space. But before we go too far down that road, tell us what the International Academy of Ceramic Implantology is. Well, like its name says, it's an association uh, that's dedicated to the education of doctors and the information of the public around ceramic implants. It was created about uh, 12, 13 years ago. And uh, since then, uh, we have uh, fulfilled, we have been working towards that mission by having, you know, training events for dentists and also informational sessions for uh, the public. Now, you've been a dentist for like 30 plus years now, and you've, you've been an implantologist the entire time. When did you start making the shift from metal to ceramic, or were you always doing ceramic? There was a shift. You know, I, I graduated from dental school yeah, close to 30 years, about 20, 25, 26 years ago. And I went to a residency. I went to get training in implant dentistry because uh, that's what, by the time I went to dental school, I realized that I wanted to be an implantologist. So I went to Loma Linda University in California, trained in implant dentistry for three years, came out, and I was using uh, metal implants like everybody else. And it so happened that uh, somewhere eight to 10 years after I came out of residency, I purchased a practice that was very oriented into metal-free dentistry at the time. So uh, make a long story short, uh, a patient was sent over to my side of the practice to get dental implants. And this patient looked at me and said, well, doc, I just spent thousands of dollars removing silver fillings and, and metal crowns out of my head. And now you want to put some more metals. And I said, well, there's no other way to do this. And the, med the patient said, well, yeah, there's a metal-free implant that exists. And with all the knowledge I had, with the great education I received, I did not believe that there was a ceramic implant that was commercially available. The patient gave me the information. I looked at it, and it made a lot of sense to me. And that's when I started adopting it about uh, 12 years ago. So, yes, I got introduced to ceramic implants by a patient. <laughs> that had to be... Somewhat humbling, I bet, huh? It was very humbling, yes. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it changed your career in essence, did it not? Absolutely, absolutely, because there was the, I, I never realized, and this is what I work at daily for the last 10, 11 years, explaining to my colleagues that there is a demand for a product that works. Ceramic implants work. They had tough beginnings, like every material, 
but they work. And there's people who want them. There's people who travel across the country and across state lines to get ceramic implants. So yes, it was humbling and it was also like career changing. Absolutely. Let's don't get too technical, but let's talk about for a second, why ceramic over metal? What are the pros and cons in this? Okay. Well, uh, to begin with, um, metal implants have been around about 60 years. They have done, by and large, they've done very, very well. Okay. The problem comes where metals over time, when they are exposed to the oral cavity or any part of the body, have a tendency to break down. And breakdown means there's a corrosion problem that is now very well documented with metals being inserted in people's bodies and staying there for extended periods of time. And when that happens, it can cause some health issues, okay? Sensitivities, allergies, and things like that. Also, there's an aesthetic side of it. Uh, When you look at a ceramic implant, it's white color. It's very much like a tooth color. So it blends in a lot better, okay? And then when you look at the material itself, it's stable. It doesn't break down. It doesn't release any of its components into the bloodstream or into the lymphatics or potentially to the brain. Because, for example, a metal alloy implants, one of the components of metal alloy implants is aluminum. Okay. So we have titanium alloy, we have titanium, aluminum, and vanadium. And we all know that aluminum can travel to the brain. It crosses a blood brain barrier. That's why you have very few uh, cosmetics or very few deodorants on the market that still have aluminum in them because it's now known that it's, it can be a dangerous. A material. So those are the advantages. You know, there's the health component, okay, but there's also the aesthetic component and the structural component of the material, which doesn't break down. Now, is there a cost difference for the patient and is there a profitability difference for the doctor? Yes and yes. There's a cost because uh, zirconia ceramics are, are, are very expensive to produce. So it's However, more expensive than metal. Absolutely. Very, very expensive, very technique sensitive. But what the good news is, the good news is from the time I started about 11, 12 years ago with ceramic implants, that gap has gone down. When I started, I mean, you were talking 40% less, uh, more, sorry, 40% more for ceramic implants, even up to 50% more, just acquiring the implant before you pass the cost to the patient. Today, technology has evolved. There's new techniques of manufacturing ceramic implants that today now we're finding that it's probably just about 10, 15% more, you know? So the costs have come down for the dentist and that gets passed on to the patient. But the ceramic implant will theoretically last forever, correct? Well, I don't like to use the word forever (laughs) because even even God-given teeth, though sometimes most of the time don't last forever, but they are the documented track record of ceramic implants is a little shorter than titanium implants because ceramic implants had very difficult beginnings. So there was a period of about 10 to 15 years where they, had, they were n- not even commercially available. They were being re- reinvented, retooled. Well, so it's not like a ceramic implant is going to last twice as long as a metal implant then, correct? That we don't know yet because there's, the, the background is not long enough. But I can tell you that the longest documented time of uh, uh, background of ceramic implants is 15 years. And I have colleagues and mentors in Europe who have cases that were done 25 years ago with ceramic implants. So again, I'm going by what's documented and verified. 15 years is already in the books for ceramic implants. So that's a pretty good record. But the health benefits alone should be a compelling enough uh, reason, don't you think? 
Absolutely. And, and that's why I switched, because the more I understood ceramics, the more I went and studied in more, more in depth the titanium alloy implants, the ones that I, I was trained on, the ones that I used for 10 years, the first 10 years of my career, I realized that, you know, we are, we are in a situation now where, you know, what used to be considered the most biocompatible uh, uh, material, titanium, it's no longer bio, the most biocompatible titanium. There's something new that is here. There's something that is not only new, but also proven. So when I speak to my colleagues, I always tell them, I say, well, you know, we probably now to, need to give the title of biocompatible to ceramic, to zirconia, and probably now call uh, titanium more of a biotolerated material, because now he knows that some people have uh, very untoward reactions to it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so back to the cost for the patient, uh, or I guess that there's a, you know, a, roughly a 15% more cost in the material from a profitability standpoint is metal versus ceramic any different for the dentist? For the dentist still, because, you know, metal parts are very, have become for a long time inexpensive to produce. Okay. We in dentistry today, we even have some, not many, but a few offices that can print or mill their own parts in the, in the office. I mean, that's where technology has come to, where dentists can make parts of implants in their own office, okay? So the metal parts are so inexpensive to produce that there has to be a different scale of pricing still because of the cost of the manufacturing and the cost of the parts, the prosthetic parts. So when you have this conversation with, with other dentists, are they typically blown away? Are they averse to change? Are they like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread? What's your reaction that you get? It depends who you talk to. But in a majority of cases, there's a resistance. And, 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 and it's understandable for two main reasons. One, the material is poorly understood and unfortunately not very well taught to dental students. So people come out of dental school or practice already dentistry and they understand the material very poorly. And the other factor is that the beginnings of ceramic implants was not good. There was fractures, there were failures, but it was because biology and materials were not well understood, okay? The original ceramic implants had very smooth surfaces, bone likes rough surfaces, so there you had a good re a recipe for implant failure. Then the ceramics we were using 20 years ago were what you call uh, monocrystalline ceramics, like the glass of your windshield or whatever. So they were not very strong ceramics. So they had a tendency to fracture or they were too rigid. Whereas today now we have ceramics that are what they call advanced ceramics that have been well developed that can take as that can perform as well as metal implants, you know? I mean, I, I like the idea of, I mean, the tooth, the, the, the makeup of the tooth, it would be closer to a ceramic than it would be metal, would it not? Absolutely. Just like bone. Bone, bone is pretty much a ceramic. Yeah, I mean, just I would be tooth. biased towards that, besides just, just that alone. Now, people are resistant when you first talk to them. How long does it take you to get an open mind out of them and then to actually start listening? Well, it, it, it usually comes into when you can demonstrate. Well, we in dentistry and in medicine also is the same. We like to see long-term results. 
Okay. So when you start talking to a, I start talking to a colleague, but where are the studies? Where are the results? How long has it been around? Well, 10 years ago, I, it was difficult. Okay. Today in the United States, I can show you hundreds of cases that were done 10 years ago by me and that are still functioning. Okay. It used to be, well, there's a guy in Switzerland, there's a guy in Germany who has 10 years. Now it's no longer the case. In North America here, we have some clinicians like me and a, a few others that can show you 10 years background of work. Now, we're starting to see literature being published with 13, 15 years background retrospective studies, follow-up studies on ceramic implants. So those today who have objections uh, there's, there's very little, the, 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 the amount of ammo, if I may put it that way, that it may have against ceramic implants is quickly disappearing. And the demand of ceramic implants, I have to say here, doesn't come from doctors. It comes from people like you, the lay person who goes out and reads and, you know, and, and learns and sometimes asks questions and say, you know what? I'd rather go ceramic, just like the reaction we had two minutes ago. I'd rather yeah. have ceramic than metal, you know. <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense. So what was your motivation to start the IAOCI? Because, I mean, it could be wrong, but I would imagine it's not a profitable venture. If it is profitable, it's probably not, not that profitable. I, but what was your motivation to just become this impassioned advocate of the ceramic industry? Well, it was, uh, one, it was the the health concern, you know, there was just, again, like I said, I was trained with titanium. That's what, that's how I became an implantologist. But it gets to a point in your career where you have to look at what you're using, what you're doing and ask questions. And if you find evidence and literature that corroborates what you think or what you're concerned about, then you have to make changes. And that's where you have to be bold and humble to, to, to switch. Okay. Now the Academy, how did it come about? It came about from a few things. One, the, the core belief in the in, in the product and in the in, in the in the in the benefits of ceramics. Okay, because even our orthopedic colleagues have been trying for decades to get away from metals. So if you get a hip implant today, the stem is metal, but the the the, the ball and socket part of the implant is ceramics because it's healthier and it causes less complications. So the academy comes about how well. Again, it comes to the convincing our colleagues that it's an alternative, a viable alternative. So, you know, I start placing ceramic implants. I do. I, I start using them very in great numbers. Then doctors approach me and says, well, can you train me on this? Can you, can you help me understand this better? Now I, I find myself in a situation where I'm in not only a user and a proponent of the, the technology, but also now I'm being asked to make help other people become proficient, you know, at using these implants. So the academy came because now there was a need to train. There was a need to make sure other colleagues understood what we were doing, you know, and just we created that and created an environment also where people were not shy to come and discuss that and, and ask questions about it and say, you know, this is what I use. Because even until today, I have colleagues who almost uses implants as something that's on the side in the office that they just pull out of a drawer once in a while when it's a wonderful product that is uh, in demand. Yeah. Now, are you getting a lot of implantologists or are you getting a lot of generals who do implants 
as a part of their practice, or are you getting both? In the beginning, it was a lot of general dentists who, who did implants, who were asking for this. And actually, the original uh, group of uh, dentists that were very interested in this were uh, biological dentists and holistic dentists. Well, these are dentists who are very, very educated and, 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 and careful in terms of what products they, they use in their practices or what, what types of materials they are willing to place in their patients. So that was the original group. Uh, today, we're finding slowly, but it's happening, that some specialists like periodontists and oral surgeons are now adopting these implants, but they're adopting it again because of their referrals. And so now what we can congratulate ourselves at, at the academy is that we educated enough general dentists that they went out and put pressure on their specialists because not every general dentist placed implants. Some refer them out and they are the gatekeepers. So you get all these, all this public that goes to the general dentist and looks at the GP and says, I want ceramic implants. And the GP looks at his surgeon and he says, surgeon, my patients want ceramic implants. And if you want to continue to get a flow of patients from me, you're going to have to adopt that in your practice. So it's interesting how it's coming from the bottom up. So you get a public that's putting pressure on the dentist and the dentist that's putting pressure on the specialist. And then it's, it's creating a change. Do you see some doctors who do both ceramic and metal? Yes, they still are. Quite, the majority still do uh, ceramic and metal. People like me are very far of you, you know, for now. Why would you not just make the jump all the way? Well, it's uh, for a couple of things. I think it's comfort, comfort, learning curve. And maybe uh, they don't realize that there's more than what they are getting who will be willing to get ceramic implants. Because like I told you earlier, there's an extra cost. They cost more. They still cost a little more than titanium implants. But in my practice, I still, when I treatment plan patients, I present both. I said, this is, this is one, this is ceramic, this is titanium, pros and cons, pros and cons. And you find that in most cases, people are willing to pay an extra 20%, 25% just to get something that's a lot more biological, that's, more, that's, that's safer. But the only con on ceramic is the cost then, correct? The cost, yes, is the biggest con, okay? And, and right next with it is probably the, as of now, is using it across all cases. You see, titanium implants have been around for so long. Solutions have been developed for all kinds of cases. Difficult placement, angled placement, off-axis placement. We have, in the metal world, we have solutions, Again, because of the longevity, because it's been around for a long time. Whereas in the ceramic world, they're coming. They're coming slowly. It's getting better. When I started ceramic implants, they were all one block, one piece. Now we have two pieces, and it's becoming more friendly to even those who are on, on titanium implants. That's why, again, that's another aspect that has slowed a little bit people from getting into it because they don't have all these solutions that they're used to having if the implant is off four or five degrees here or there. I'm sure the manufacturers have your phone number. They probably call you and you're like, hey, start doing this. And they probably listen. So in a lot of cases, yes. So how many members do you have in the IOCI? And do you guys do annual meetings and talk a little about that? Yes, we do annual meetings. Uh, we have a, a big annual meeting every year because it's international. We also have meetings in other countries. We've had meetings in Brazil, in Colombia, in the Middle East. Africa and other places. 
so we have these meetings uh, where COVID kind of slowed us down a little bit, but the annual meeting never stopped happening in the U.S. And we also have courses. Okay, so we have courses in between the meetings where uh, we train doctors in ceramic implantology. And some of these courses are hands-on, meaning hands-on on artificial jaws. We have live patient courses, also where U.S. licensed dentists can attend and place and be trained to place implants on a real patient. And we also have didactic programs where we just give lectures and they can be in the form of webinars or in the form of just in-person lectures. That's great. And so obviously you're growing. I mean, what's your membership look like right now? Well, the membership right now, we look at, we have active members anywhere between 200 and 225 members. That's great. And you're obviously growing every year, right? Oh, we're growing every year. Uh, and, you know, I think by the end of this, in the next 12 months, the rate now that we have been since our last meeting uh, in May, uh, the rate at which people are now becoming members is, is, is unbelievable. We're probably going to end up with 300 members by <laughs> by next year this time, even sooner, well, which is great. I, yeah, I'm sure COVID slowed down membership growth. I mean, it did. It did. It did. But it kind of also gave us time to really rethink and retool how we present the academy, how we are, the direction we want to take, how we educate people, how we inform the public. So there's a lot of great things coming up. So as we wrap up here, I'd like to ask a, a couple of questions that I ask everybody is, so you've been practicing for almost 30 years. You've seen a lot. If I was a new, a brand new dental school graduate, what advice would you give me? I would say always be open-minded. You know, uh, dental school, grad school teaches you the fundamentals, the basics. Now, if you go to grad school, like a residency, you expand a lot more on what you're learning in dental school. But it's still there's still a gap between what you come out of as a as a dental as a dentist or as a resident and the real world. Okay, the real world is going to bring you challenges. It's going to bring you. Uh, there's going to be a demands that you that were probably you were probably shielded of when you were in an educational or an academic environment. So the key is be open minded and always have a mentor. Have have somebody that's good at what you like or what you aspire to be or do that you can follow, that you can listen to. That can, you, can, you can also be critical of, you know, nobody's perfect. You have to look at mentors. They have their way, they have their biases, but they're good at what they do. And, you know, as a, as a graduating dentist, as a, as a newly uh, graduated specialist, you also want to have that because that's the, the, the springboard for you to go to the next level. That's great right there. So, I'm a big reader. I read a lot. What's a good book that you read or you recommend people? Oh, well, uh, it's recently I, I was recommended to read uh, uh, a book by, I can't remember his name, but it's called The Chasm. And The Chasm is a book that it's about selling or convincing people of new ideas or new products, you know? And and and, and it's, it's very interesting. I'm not done reading the whole book, but it talks about, the early adopters versus the the skeptics who adopted after after so many years, and that's a little bit what we're doing at the IOCI. You know, uh, we are we are there's a chasm that still exists. Okay, there's a gap. Uh, there's a lot of dentists, the majority of them, that still have a hard time wrapping their heads around ceramic implants. 
So that chasm, we are trying to close it, you know, as a, as an academy. And, you know, it's interestingly enough, we have an easier time convincing lay people like you or others than convincing our own colleagues. But again, it, it's because, you know, it's not because they are. Well, like to me, it's work. like a done deal. Like I, I don't need an implant, but if I needed one, I'd be like ceramic done. And, yeah. you know, it, it almost falls to me in this, like, you know, we're, we're much more health conscious today than we were 30 years ago, Absolutely. whether that's organic foods, whether that's whatever it is. And that falls in the same vein, the whole ceramic thing. Absolutely. And so, you know, I, I think the biggest challenge that the dental industry would have is be that human nature is typically resistant to change. Well, yes, but this, this is what's happening uh, out there, uh, Ross. Like I said earlier, I alluded to earlier, the majority of the requests for ceramic implants comes from the public. They come from people. Because people, like you said very well, they care about their health. They care about what they eat now a lot more than they used to. What, you know, there's just look, look at the proliferation of organic supermarkets around us. And they're always packed and they cost more. The food in there costs more. But people go in there because they want to do the right thing. They want to be the right thing for their bodies, for their health and whatnot. So the industry, uh, believe it or not, industry, I mean the manufacturers, uh, they, they're paying attention because today the big three manufacturers of dental implants in the world have ceramic implants in their portfolio. So that's telling. That means they, they know, they're listening, they're watching, and they say, well, you know, this, this is going to flip, not flip, but the balance is going to shift and we're ready and we have it. So yeah, the secondary consumer is driving it, which is the patients, the public. And we want to see where it's at 10 years from now. Cause I, you know, so that'll be 10 years is long. I think it's going to be a little sooner than that, but it will be interesting to see. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. There will be an inflection point where it just kind of, you know, absolutely. It does that. Well, Dr. Numbisi, this has been a fascinating conversation. I learned a lot today. Um, hopefully, I don't need an implant anytime soon. But it, but if I do, I know what kind I want. There you so go. I really appreciate you coming on here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit my uh, what I do and what we're our mission is. And uh, really appreciate it. Sure thing. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brandon. Tune in next week for our next episode. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 1613932. 
2021 119535 Expires 423. That last part can also say 2021 119535 Expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311-850562-9075. Securities products and advisory services are offered through PAS member FINRASIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. California Insurance License Number 0L100073, 2022-140194, expiration 0724. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.